I wondered, do you, are you the kind of person that likes living inside your comfort zone or out of your comfort zone? Do you like doing things a little bit risky or do you like to play it safe? On the next slide. Uh, my family and I were really fortunate this summer to go uh, to Mexico on holiday. And at a place we visited called uh, Shell Ha, um, there was this cliff called the Cliff of Courage that uh, if you wanted to, you could jump off. And it was kind of interesting to see the different kind of people that were there. There were some that sat at the bottom said, no way, there's just no way I'm going up there. There was others that went up the steps, had a peek over the edge, and uh, and said, not having any of that, and went back down again. The walk of shame down the stairs. Then there were those that uh, stood at the edge, and then went back, and then went to the edge again. And they said, no, you go first. And then after somebody else had gone, they... Uh, tentatively jumped off into the water. And then there were the fourth kind of people that just went straight up and woohoo off doing uh, all kinds of uh, um, uh, clever jumps. I wonder, who would you be? Would you be the ones that hold back or would you be the ones that uh, jumped in with glee? I'll let you guess which members of our family were which on that one. I want to do an experiment, if you don't mind, particularly for those that are more able-bodied. If you've got a bad back, do not do this. But for the rest of you, stand up, would you? And I want you to put your arm out in front of you. You might have to kind of shuffle along the pew a little bit um, so you don't hit people. With your eyes open, I want you to turn around, keeping your feet firmly planted on the ground. Turn your arm around as far as you can. And then see where you're pointing to, right, as far as you can. Okay? You done that? Yep. Have you remembered where you got to? Right. Back to the front. Now I want you to close your eyes. And in your mind's eye, I just want you to imagine putting your hand out in front of you. And now I want you to imagine turning that arm around. Slowly, slowly, slowly. You're approaching the place where you reached before. But you don't stop there. You keep going. You turn a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Right. Open your eyes. Now, arms out in front of you. Turn round as far as you can. Right. Who managed to go further the second time than the first time? Fantastic. Well done. Two points to that. The first one is that doing things a second time is always easier. The second one is that actually, normally, you can do more than you think you can. Have a seat. We're going to be looking at a passage from Isaiah uh, 54 today that, in my way of thinking anyway, talks something about stepping outside of your comfort zone. So we're going to uh, read that now. If you've got your Bibles with you, Isaiah 54, beginning at verse 2, and we're going to read through to verse 10. Enlarge the place of your tent... 
Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young, only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace will be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take these words, you would open them up to us. Lord, I pray uh, this afternoon that, that uh, we would, as it were, step out of our comfort zone. We would seek to know where you're calling us because we ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was asked to uh, preach today, I was given total free choice as to what passage I spoke on. And for those of you that uh, um, ever um, talk or, or preach, sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. You know, it's sometimes much easier just, here's a passage, work to it. But where you've got the whole Bible to choose from, what on earth do you pick? But I was, uh, I was reading through Isaiah and I came across this passage and I immediately knew that this was what I had to speak um, from. Now, Isaiah, I don't know if you appreciate it, is, is a really interesting and cool book. Right? Some people call it uh, the Little Bible. And they do that for a, a number of reasons. Um, Isaiah is, is kind of full of prophecies. Y- yep, uh, we know that. He's uh, so-called one of the major prophets. Um, but he's talking just as the whole Bible points to and talks about uh, the coming of Jesus, our Savior. So the whole message of Isaiah, whilst it's wrapped up with uh, all kinds of other things, points to Jesus. It's split into kind of two parts because it covers uh, a couple of periods of um, Israel's history. At the time when it was written, 700 BC, uh, Israel was going through one of its most prosperous times, its most successful times. And yet, idolatry had started to creep in to the nation of Israel. And things were not going spiritually quite as well as they should. And Isaiah came to warn people, to bring them uh, warnings of of judgment, Um, warn them if they don't uh, um, uh, sort themselves out, then... uh, God's judgment would come. And it it speaks about uh, the overthrow of the northern kingdom, Israel, and uh, we know that happened eventually. 
It speaks about uh, the uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, and how they would be uh, held siege by the Assyrians. And we know that uh, uh, came to pass as well. And it's kind of uh, split into two parts, um, just as the Bible is 66 books long, Isaiah is 66 chapters long. The first 39 chapters is about the Assyrian period, and it's very much about kind of judgment and condemnation and, uh, and kind of laws, just as the Old Testament was. And the second, uh, second, uh, 20, second part, the 27 chapters after that, mirror the New Testament, speaking very much of, uh, of salvation and grace and the coming of Jesus Christ. Chapter 40, verse 3 of Isaiah reads, The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And if we look at the 40th book of the Bible, chapter 3, Matthew, it says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The 40th book of the Bible, the same as uh, the 40th chapter of Isaiah. And then the 66th chapter of Isaiah talks about the new heaven and the new earth. The 66th book of the Bible, Revelation, talks about the new heaven and the new earth. There's some phenomenal similarities between the structure of Isaiah and the message that it brings and the whole message of the Bible. I urge you to have a look at it and see some of those uh, uh, fantastic truths that are in there. The book is full of poetic language. It's full um, of uh, language that particularly talks to parched land and streams of water. And if you've been paying attention, a lot of the verses in Isaiah uh, are, have been part of the thinking behind our church vision. If you recall, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And the particular passage that we're going to be looking at sits between those two verses. Forget the former things and come, all you who are thirsty. And to me, as I read this, it almost seemed like this is a natural part of the sequence. If we want to see the new thing, if we want to see uh, the thirsty come to Jesus, then we need to take notice of this passage. As I mentioned, Isaiah wrote this 700 years before the birth of Jesus. The Hebrew meaning of the name Isaiah is God is salvation. All the time, Isaiah is pointing to the coming Jesus. Now, in this particular passage, um, we've got uh, imagery of tents. Um, and uh, um, stretching tents wide and uh, um, all kinds of stuff relating to that. And I, I thought we would look for a minute about what would the hearers of what Isaiah had to say think about the imagery of 
the tents. I'm sure not all of the Jews lived in tents at the time, but many of them would have done. They would have lived perhaps in tents like this. So when they heard this message about uh, stretching their tents wide, they would perhaps have seen a message and heard a message about how the reach of uh, their dwelling place, the reach of their their impact in the land was going to be stretched, was going to be um, made larger. And that was really the promise that God was giving them through Isaiah, that although um, they would go through this time of exile, this time of hardship, um, this time of siege under the Assyrians, that yet one day God would uh, put all of that right again. So perhaps the the Jews would see this as uh, my impact, my influence is uh, going to increase. And I think that's absolutely one of the interpretations that God intended. The influence of the nation of the Jews would grow. And then secondly, I'm sure the Jews, although they were in Jerusalem at the time and uh, Solomon's temple had been built, um, it was not long since that when they worshipped, they worshipped in a tent, in the tabernacle a mobile uh, uh, place of worship. It was God's uh, dwelling place, as it were. And the tabernacle was uh, kind of an interesting place. It was uh, uh, made of a kind of big courtyard uh, that was all curtained off. It had within that a place called uh, um, the holy place, which was where um, the Jews would go in to uh, make their sacrifices. And then right at the heart of that was the Holy of Holies, a place where the high priest was only able to go in once a year through the curtain of of the temple um, to make sacrifice for the whole nation. It was a place where God dwelt. In the Holy of Holies uh, was the Ark of the Covenant. That was where, although we know that God was everywhere for the Jews, that was God's dwelling place. So I'm sure the um, Jews, uh, when they, on hearing this message from Isaiah, would have been mindful of the tabernacle and would have been mindful of, uh, well, what, what's he saying here? Because, again, I urge you to have a, a read of um, uh, Exodus where God gives uh, very uh, explicit and specific instructions about how to construct the tabernacle. All the dimensions were very Uh, carefully defined. All the materials that would go into making the poles and the curtains and the cords was all very well defined. So why on earth is God saying, stretch out your tent, enlarge your curtains, when actually God had said, this is very specifically how it needs to be. I wonder how the Jews would have interpreted what was being said when they thought of this imagery of the tent in the context of of the tabernacle. As we well know, when uh, Jesus died on the cross, the curtain of the temple, that separation between the holy place and the holy of holies, was torn in two. It was ripped from top to bottom. Almost as if God's saying, I'm enlarging the temple. I'm enlarging the curtains. 
I don't know if you noticed anything interesting about the language that Isaiah used. He said, stretch out your tent, lengthen your cords. I don't know if any of you have been camping this uh, this summer uh, on holiday. But if you want to stretch out your tent, what do you do to the guy ropes? You shorten them. Why on earth is God saying through Isaiah, stretch out your tents, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your states? And I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, the only way that's going to work is actually if you keep the stakes where they are, and Isaiah very clearly says, strengthen your stakes, don't move them, strengthen them, and if you move your tent to the other side, and then you lengthen the cords and move the influence of your tent out. And of course, for us, we know that with the tearing of that curtain of the temple, with God's dwelling place now being not just with men, but in men, we are, we're told, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are where God dwells. So what does this mean when we look at Stretch out your tents, strengthen your uh, stakes, lengthen your cords. The way I look at it, this means that we have a very clear call to reach out, to go out. Kind of interesting that we are out of our church building. It's almost this is our mobile tabernacle for the moment, isn't it? <laughs> we are stretching out. We're, we're reaching out. We're going into places beyond our normal kind of comfort zone of the building at Lynn Baptist Church. I wonder what God is calling us to do to go on from that, to lengthen our cords even further, to stretch out and have an influence. Again, I urge you to have a look at Exodus because the the way that God instructed um, the Jews to uh, look after the tabernacle and build the tabernacle, there were very specific instructions. Normally, it was one tribe was given a particular instruction. You are in charge of this piece. You will be doing the embroidery. You will um, make all the bronze work. You'll do all the the silver craftware. Right? Very specific. There's one exception, and that is the cords. The responsibility for looking after the cords was given to more than one tribe. Kind of interesting. And the way that I look at that, when you use the metaphor of the tent, if if the stakes are in the ground firmly, they are, if you like, are standing on the word of truth. When we, got to, when we go out and we've got to reach out, do not move those stakes. Do not weaken them. Strengthen them. Stand firm on the word. But stretch out the cords that represent many people. It's the cords of fellowship. Stretch those out. Don't break the fellowship. I don't know if you've ever tried putting a tent up without pegs or without guy ropes kind of doesn't last very long. I've camped a number of times when the weather's been so bad that the uh, tent pegs have ripped up out the ground and uh, it's hopeless. <laughs> the tent just collapses around you. But if you strengthen 
those tent pegs if you keep the tent connected to those uh, uh, through those cords then the place stays strong so church what is our call we're told to strengthen our stakes to lengthen our cords to stretch out uh, our curtains stretch the uh, influence of our tent as it were reach out wider to where we are and if you look at verse 3 for you will spread out to the right and to the left and it's kind of interesting maybe you can't see that very clearly but that's a map of Lim and the circles there are LBC and Thelwall and High Lee and Thelwall is about two miles as the crow flies to the left of Lim Baptist Church. And High Lee is two miles as the crow flies to the right-ish of LBC. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. <clears throat> Would you agree that we live in desolate times? there are clearly glimmers of hope and glimmers of good stuff. But I would say that generally we live in uh, um, quite desolate times at the moment. People are hungry for something, but they don't know what. People will search anywhere for truth, seemingly almost anywhere but uh, the, uh, the right place. We're in confusion politically spiritually but if we can reach out if we can stretch the influence uh, that we have with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us then the promises are there we will settle in their desolate cities do not be afraid you will not be put to shame do not fear disgrace you will not be humiliated going back to that uh, jump off the cliff of courage it's kind of interesting that I heard a number of times people who went up to the edge, looked over, and then went back again. When they got back down to the bottom, they said, I wish I'd done it. Do you know, I wish I'd just jumped. I wonder, do we have uh, regrets in, uh, in our Christian walk? Things that we think we should have done, but we didn't do things that maybe we're ashamed of um, and we just want to kind of forget it. You know, I think fear comes in two ways. There's either fear of the unknown, jumping off the cliff, or there's fear because it's once bitten twice shy. You've done something and it didn't go well and you're worried about it. Yeah? Do you agree? Those two main reasons for fear. But look at some of the promises that... Uh, God makes here. You will forget the shame of your youth. If you did something and it went badly, don't worry. God will wipe that away. He'll remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Why? For your maker is your husband. We are in Jesus, the bride of Christ. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. What is there to be feared? when uh, we have 
Almighty God uh, with us. Just briefly, verse 9. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. When else in the Bible are the days of Noah mentioned? Apart from Genesis, of course. Yeah, in Matthew, Jesus says, So it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Why on earth would Isaiah point to the days of Noah? Right? I think, again, just like Isaiah's the little Bible, he's pointing to the end times. And he's saying that, you know, in these times and however long the end times are, right, there's going to be uh, tricky things. But I'm going to be faithful, just as he swore um, to Noah that never again would he flood the earth. So God has sworn not to be angry with us, not to rebuke us again. His unfailing love will not be shaken. So I wonder, church, what do we think of when we hear that call to stretch our tents wide? There's those three key things. Strengthen those stakes. Don't let slip the truths of the word of God. Don't compromise. Don't be deceived. Don't let it go. Strengthen those cords of fellowship. Don't fall out of habit of meeting together. Work together. Support each other. And then stretch out your influence. You know, it will be hard when we stretch out, when we reach out. I think, and Chris and I have discussed this, we've seen a glimpse of it with the building work that's going on. The builder himself has commented that uh, never before has he seen so many things getting in the way. Just little things um, uh, messing up the plan, meaning that things can't go ahead. You know, Satan would like nothing better for the vision that we have to, uh, to fall apart. But God calls us to strengthen our stakes, lengthen our cords, stretch our influence. Do not be afraid because he is with us. So I urge you to pray that uh, uh, we will realize that vision in uh, expanding our influence out, not just to Thelwall and Highley, but uh, beyond that and widen that, that we might move out into the desolate places in this land, that we might bring the good news, that we might bring the living water to those who are thirsty. Amen.